welcome to Life of the School, episode 67. My name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher at Acton Boxford Regional High School in Acton, Massachusetts. Normally on Life of the School, I like to sit down and interview a fellow life science teacher and ask them how they get in the classroom, what are they currently working on, and what are their hopes for the future. But for this episode, you're going to get something a little bit different. One of the things I've been working on quite a bit over the last few years is thinking about what it means to give valuable homework to my students. And to that end, I decided that it would be great to get the perspectives of many of the teachers who I know and respect from around the country and hear their thoughts specifically on the value of homework and the types of things they do for homework. This group works with very different students in very different schools with very different populations and their teaching experiences also vary quite a bit. So this is really a compilation of you know, I don't know if best practice is the right terms, but certainly varying effective practices. And I also think it reveals a lot about the process that teachers are currently working on as they're trying to figure out what the best homework is for them. So first up, you will hear from Paul Strode. Paul is a teacher at Fairview High School in Boulder, Colorado. So, Paul, the first question I've been asking people about is about homework. Um, And, like, what is the value of homework? And do we need homework for students to learn science in high school? Well, um, it depends on what you mean by homework. If (laughs) homework is simply busy work, like do these 20 math problems where you're doing the same thing over and over again, I think that that can be problematic. Um, I, I think homework needs to be very carefully constructed and, and, and has to, um, really fulfill some kind of, of content need that, that, that you need your students to maybe show up to class having, having had the opportunity to process or, or just, just one simple thing that they could practice at home. But I think that a lot of teachers, they, they, they think, well, they're going to, they're going to add rigor to their to their courses by increasing this homework load which i think is is just really problematic for kids so it has to be very like have a specific purpose is that yeah. that's what you're saying yeah so like the the homework i give are are tend to be database questions where the kids the, the kids have to have to analyze some data and, and make a graph, and then they come to class, and I give them five to ten minutes at their table groups to to process it together, and and there might be a couple of kids who just for whatever reason didn't get around to it, so then they have an opportunity to to kind of catch up, and then we talk about it as a class, um, but I don't collect any of it, and and so I, I think collecting homework and 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 and, and scoring it and. Um, and such, I think that can be a, a problem too. Because then, why are the kids doing the homework? They're doing it because they know it's going to be collected, not because of the intrinsic value of just helping themselves with their own learning. Hmm. Yeah, you. So, I mean, not surprising that um, you're not a fan of, of compliance-based homework. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I know that you you work 
with a standards-based grading system. So is it possible that you could assign something that students do for homework and then that could be a piece of evidence that they could use later to argue that they understand a standard or have a concept? Um, yeah, that... yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, so I, my students keep an online biology journal where they where they they put all that evidence, and so so I don't I don't collect the, for example, the database question, but what what most of them then do is they'll take a, a picture of it and insert it as an image in their biology journal, and so when I go to visit their biology journals halfway through the semester at the end of the semester, then they they have all this this whole history of of all the great work that they've done, um, all these. What, what I call are intangibles um, in there. And so if, if a student hasn't done the, the work, the preparation for class, then they, they don't have much evidence to show in their biology journals. I, and I guess I'm trying to, I'm trying to parse out. So yeah, like I, I didn't do the homework. I come to class, I'm in my group, three of my group members did this work. So now I, I take the time and I, I sketch out this graph and like, I guess the question would be, how do I, as the, the instructor, or how do you as the instructor, like parse out the, the product that they've generated as, as evidence of learning versus evidence of like, they were able to generate this product, but it was a reflection more of the fact that they were teamed with a group of students who understood it rather than them having that core understanding themselves. Ah, uh, sure. So, so that well, in a couple of ways. Um, while they are they're working in their groups, I'm moving around the classroom, checking in on each table and and um, and sort of gathering anecdotal evidence of of who did the work and who didn't. And mm -hmm. um, and just just I think it's important for the the student to know that I know <laughs> that <laughs> you know that they did it or they didn't do it. Um, and sometimes I think that's enough. And then. Of course, I have the the unit assessments, and so it, it comes through there as well. If they haven't been doing the the, the occasional uh, work at home and the preparation work, then it certainly comes through on those assessments. So it's I think you know I think the point that I would I would bring up that I'm hearing from you in terms of the value of this practice, whether it's in class or out of class, you know the you're not grouping it as like assignments that go in different places. Like this is just a body of work, but the body of work reflects a, you know, an ongoing conversation with each student about the, the, the practices that they're engaging with and the work they're doing. Yes. Yeah. And so that like, you just don't have homework and you don't have just classwork. You just have like work. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is all the good work. This is the work. Um, that, that this is an opportunity for you to practice. It's an opportunity for you to to uh, to, to test yourself. Um, it's an opportunity for you to show me um, that 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 you are working. Um, but but as as you know, my my classes are pointless, and so so the the students aren't <laughs> yeah the, the the students aren't aren't doing the work for points. Everything is is worth everything and nothing at the same time. Yeah. 
I, w- I was going to f- try to find a way to say that the points don't matter because um, <laughs> they're pointless. Uh, but I guess I, for one of the things I, I, I've been struggling with a little bit this year, and again, integer- interrogating my own practice, is that sometimes I do these activities that, that very much mirror the work that you're talking about, where I have students do something and then check with their their peers, and maybe they didn't really understand it. But when they get together with their peers and they talk about it, they get this sort of fallacy of coverage. Like they didn't understand it when they were supposed to practice on their own. They see an exa- a good example of it that really reflects the the hard work of their peers. And then therefore, like superficially, me walking around, I see the dialogue, I see the discussion. They're engaged, they're, they're there. Are there opportunities for students to then you know, before they get to that, you know, summative assessment piece for them to have an opportunity to, to re-engage with that practice again, to see that, oh yeah, I really actually do get this at the level. Yeah. I, I have this product now because of the engagement and the discussion and there was good learning there, but I really want to see, can I do this on my own? What are the ways or are there good ways that that comes through for the student's practice? So that, that comes through again on the, on those summative assessments, but then with my summative assessments, the kids have the opportunity to do revisions, mm. and so so I think in the in the revision experience, that's that's where they they then reflect on oh did I know it as well as I thought I did. Mm. So so all my students, um, some of them I require to do revisions, and uh, and and then others have the opportunity to do revisions if they if if they want to show me that that those those two questions out of 12 that they still needed to do some work on that they've that they've they've done the work yeah but I, but I don't require them to show me that they've done the work it's just assumed that they're going to reflect on that yeah so you're assuming a, a I mean there's a, a high ability of growth and maturity that they're going to have to to show in those classes then absolutely Next up, I chatted with Desi Demova from Franklin High School in Somerset, New Jersey. What is the value of homework, and do you need to have homework in order to learn science in a high school classroom? Um, and the answer to all questions, <laughs> my, my students know this, the answer to every question I ask in the classroom is, it depends. <laughs> It's gonna be a boring. So, it's gonna be a boring podcast if I'm gonna ask you three questions and you're just gonna say it depends. No, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna explain. So I, I also don't let my students get away with just answering it depends. They're gonna to have to tell me it depends on what. Okay. Um, but yes, it dep- it depends on the student population, and this is the one thing that I am still. I have been learning and struggling with since the day I started teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, getting to know my students better not individually so much I mean individually as well but as a group and what I can expect of them and that changes from year to year so I actually had did an experiment last year with my regular biology students where I did not assign them any homework Um, and the premise was if you are with me 100% of the time and we do what I have spent a lot of effort in putting together like a good interactive useful lesson and you are here with me you're engaged then you don't have any homework however if you are you know having some behavior issues you're not paying attention you're distracted and you're on your phone 
or if you're doing something else and then you're not able to do what I ask you to do, then you know, you're going to um, have to finish it for homework. And this was for my lowest, lowest level um, students, which had some behavior issues. And first it worked wonders. They did behave, they were engaged because they didn't want to go home and work. <laughs> Uh, they also became a lot more interested in the lessons because now sometimes I found that once I hold their attention for a few minutes, I get them to like get, get interested. But it was hard to like get them to focus in the beginning for some students. Again, this depends on the students. Um, and they didn't do homework for the most part. Very rarely they had to finish something at home. And I found absolutely no difference in their performance from the years before when I actually assigned them homework. Having said that, for my AP students, I think homework is important. Mm. However, I also believe in giving them choices. So what I strive to do for more mature students, both age-wise and, um, I guess, developmental-wise, is to give them choices in ways in which to practice what we do in class, supplement what we do in class, uh, check for understanding, and basically work on work out a few things on their own. So I give them choices. And mm. sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't, <laughs> unfortunately. And again, yeah. it depends on the maturity level of the students. Some students do really well with having choices and having the self-discipline to decide, and self-reflection to decide what they need to do in order to learn. And some students need a lot more structure and a lot more guidance. And this is some some of the issues that I've been struggling with this year to differentiate how I assign homework. Yeah, your homework practice sounds a lot like what I've adopted for my honors and my AP students of of choices. But giving them choice also requires having the scale and scope and resources available that are going to help them equitably access the content. Yes. And so if you're going to give them a choice to do, you know, this or this or this or, you know, two or three different things, there has to be sort of an equal, an equal level of engagement with the concepts. Not that, that to me is where the equity is. So, so what do you kind of, what kind of things do you try to do to provide choice for your, for your students in their homework? I'm not very original, I have to say. I have been stealing and borrowing from much uh, more wise educators, I admit. So I have been mostly following something that I think Bob Kuhn has adapted from David, the mm -hmm. so-called home learning assignments. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Well, a little bit, but uh, bit. everyone so might not be. They're, so they're basically um, a hyperdoc, a Google Doc that has variety of links it has it starts off with a little bit of background then guiding uh, like not guiding questions they're more like standards but they're uh, taken off they're taken from the learning objectives and the essential knowledge statements of, of the curriculum learning work but they're rephrased in a student-friendly way like you should be able to do this you should be able to demonstrate this so that the students know what what it will be expected of them and um, then there are a variety of resources provided. And then at the end, there are like questions that they have to be able to answer. And I usually give these out in the beginning of a 
unit or part of a unit because sometimes I break them up in smaller parts because I find my students need that. And I go through them specifically explaining what each resource is good for. And the resources are different. They include a variety of readings. They include some uh, practice, let's say, math problems or worksheets. They include prezies. They include PowerPoint presentations. They include videos. And I go, in the beginning of the year, I go through the variety of resources, and sometimes I go through the specific resources I'm assigning, and I tell them that the homework does not have a specific deadline, meaning I'm not telling you you have to do this tonight, but let's say by the end of the week or by the end of next week, you have to be able to answer these questions, and here are the ways you can go about doing it. Um, yeah. And I try to provide them with different resources because I know in my students, I always solicit feedback from them. And hope, you know, they're usually honest. They tell me, I can't do online reading. I need a textbook. I need to be flipping pages. Or some students say, I cannot do taking notes on a computer. I need to write. So students have different a, ways of learning. They also have different needs. Some need more help with understanding certain concepts because they have different backgrounds, some less. And I have been trying to give them as many resources as possible so that they can choose whatever works for them. But what I'm finding is that oftentimes they don't know what works for them. <laughs> and yeah. I feel like I need to provide a lot more guidance in terms of homework and independent, independent practice. I, I don't want to call it homework for my students than I have been. And this has been... Uh, one of my failures this year, I have to say, I'm working on it and I'm struggling with it. Mm. Well, as you as as you were describing this, it's um, as I initially said, it sounds a lot like mine. It now sounds like it's so much more mindful and thoughtful than <laughs> what I'm trying to what I've been doing, and so much more robust in terms of those resources. So I, I feel like this is something that we're all sort of struggling with about what is the best way to help students like mature as learners and it's meeting them where they are and helping them to get better at identifying ways that they can like learn about stuff they want to learn about that's i think the the, the practice that i'm trying to get at when i when i hear you say this so how does the practice that they're going to do impact them on a grade level like do you have like is there a percentage that equals homework or a point system or how do you um, incentivize students to do the work so this also the answer to this question also goes back to what i also wanted to add <laughs> i feel like my student population right now is not ready for the choices i give them and that also <laughs> relates to to the fact that i'm not really grading their homework officially we have a homework grade which is i think three or I don't know how many percent of their grade, which of course is meaningless. So I don't even bother grading it. And that's the whole point. With advanced students, they do a lot of work that is not graded. And mm -hmm. they have to be able to understand that the work they do prepares them for what is graded, which is the tough part, the test, the free response questions, uh, the labs. And this is another thing that I'm struggling with. In previous years, I've had actually good success in having getting students to understand pretty quickly that when they do what I ask them to do, that really helps them on tests, let's say. This year, I have been struggling 
a lot mm. with it. And I don't know if it's because it's a different student population that I'm teaching or because the grading policies in my new district are different. I really haven't even had time to really sit down and think about it. But my philosophy always has been, you know, give them the choices to do or not to do the work and eventually it'll show when they're being assessed. <laughs> and it hasn't yeah. been working for me. And I'm reevaluating uh, the way I approach this because it has not been working, unfortunately. I've hit a stumbling block here. Um, yeah. It's also, you're, it's, it's also really hard, I think, and I could say that for looking at things I've been dissatisfied with this year, to do this in the middle of the year. You're changed. Because you have a... Yeah, well, but you also have ups and downs in the year. So, like, you know, if you had asked me three weeks ago if I felt like, you know, the the choices and some of the decisions and the changes I had made to my AP biology class were working out, I would have been like, oh, no, I've made a horrible mistake. <laughs> all of these things are wrong. But I was at a, I was at a down point. Like, there were all of these feedback points that I got, which made me feel very discouraged. And it wasn't nearly that bad. And then just like yesterday, I was saying, oh, no, this is all coming together really well. You know, there's things we can make better, but overall, the direction we're going is the right direction. It wasn't and it was because we had a really good couple of days to follow up, you know, that built up my feelings. So I kind of feel like for me, I'm really not going to be able to answer those questions until like, like June or July when I sit down having seen the arc and how everything went out and then be able to say, all right, these are really the places that I got to heavily rework things as opposed to just the things that I need to tinker with my practice. The other thing I'm struggling with is I've always had only one section of AP bio, which was relatively small. Now I have four and I have a lot of students <laughs> and I can yeah. see how what I'm doing works for some students. And it does work for others. And I'm dissatisfied because I want it to work for all of them. <laughs> um, yes. It, it's a big shift. And I provide my students with lots and lots of feedback. Any assignment that is not graded, it doesn't matter whether it's graded or not, I take the time to give them feedback. And some take the time to read it and incorporate it, and some don't. And I always feel very, very discouraged when, <laughs> when they don't. <laughs> because yeah. we spend a lot of um, energy mental energy to try and you know give them feedback because feedback is more important I mean grades are a form of feedback but I think like verbal written feedback is more important than a letter grade or a percentage grade yeah yeah all right well I started off with a tough subject um maybe the second one's gonna be better <laughs> I hope yeah but no it's I I appreciate the honesty because I think that you're you're where you're coming from is reflects where I think a lot of people are and it just happens to be a specific spot for you that you've been really reflecting on heavily this year. So I think that's why it, <laughs> it sounds like it's, it's been a struggle this year, but um, I know that from your practice, you're going to get, you're going to have a system that's going to get be much better for your students based off of the reflection you're going to do. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure it's, and I'm also sure it's not as bad as you think it is. <laughs> Next up, I spoke to Ryan Verdin from Jefferson County International Baccalaureate School in Irondale, Alabama. All right, Ryan. So my first question is about homework. Um, so, <laughs> so like, 
is what is the value of homework? Is homework important to learning high school science? No. No. <laughs> and no again. This is the I, great question to come out of the gate with, especially since you didn't warn me, man. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, this is my Achilles heel. I don't do virtually any homework. My expectation is that kids show up prepared but that tends to slow me down and I do a lot of priming at the beginning of class. But, uh, even on this, you know, I went on this epic bike ride today, 60 miles in the dirt through the hills of Alabama. And I remember at one point thinking about, you know, what I do with my kids, you know, what I expect from them between classes. And, and honestly, Aaron, it's not much. They're so busy. They have, four or five other classes that many of them have jobs. Many of them are playing a sport or in the theater uh, or they, you know, some of my high functioning kids have started little nonprofits and things like that. I'm not trying to get into their space between classes. However, when they show up, I expect their undivided attention and I expect a hundred percent of work out of them. And, and again, Aaron, that doesn't always work. I, it, my classes tend to hitch and go because there is not a lot between the classes to uh, connect them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, after 19 years in this business, I've realized that I have zero control over what they're going to do outside of class, but I have 100% control of what I can, what, what's happening inside the class. And uh, that's, you know, that's, that's my take on it. Uh, I'm going to stay positive and leave it at that. I've seen lots of chatter on our, you know, social networks about how kids cheat on assignments and how they find no value in them. But and, and man, kids are smart. <laughs> if, if they know if it's a valuable thing to do or not. And I try to. I, if if kids have homework, it's going to be finishing a lab report. It's going to be studying for an exam coming up. It's going to be writing up the results from an investigation. That's it. But live your life, but show up ready to work when I see you next time. All right. So, so you did mention you did mention a few expectations of work outside of of school. So it is it's not to say that your students never have products that you're expecting them to either get ready for, where they're going to have to come in and and deliver something when they're you know present for you, where they're going to be you know presenting to their classmates or. Uh, they're going to p- present you or give you a document that's a yep. write-up or take some sort of assessment. So I guess the question is, is that how do you sort of frame that that value for your students so that they understand the difference between, you know, maybe it's, I don't know, I'm going to say, how do you impose upon them? If you feel like they've got so much on there, right. how do you frame the imposition when you do ask them to do this work outside? Great question. So let's say, so my, my rule of thumb is if we finish an investigation, whether it's looking at, you know, the effect of light on photosynthetic activity or a week after next, we're going to do our PGLO lab. When we finish uh, lab work and the data are collected, they have five business days to turn in their executive summary, which is, or deliverable, which I'll call it. And, and always, you know, it, it varies. It's a one pager. Maybe it's a, a, a graph with some, with a paragraph summarization but they know they've got five day, five business days, which is a week to get that done from the time we close lab down. But in terms of tests, again, I'm kind of on a five business day schedule. It's like we we work through a unit, and we start to see the end is near. You know, you're starting to close up the, the concepts, and I tell the kids, okay, look, 
we're it's time to assess and i'll tell them look we're gonna have a little i call them quizzes i call them quests because usually my tests are like you know 20 points it's a it's 10 or 12 really good MCQs. It's going to be a short answer question with data analysis and then a longer form FRQ. That's kind of the, that's kind of the deal. And I give them a week's head, heads up and the expectation is they show up ready to work. And I'll be honest with you, Aaron, I tell my kids, I'm like, I don't want to test you, you know, but the only reason I give you tests is because that's the way that motivates you to study, to review, to look at stuff. And, and, you know, ultimately for me as an IB teacher, the only thing that really matters is those external evaluations or external examinations in May. And if they're going to opt to take the AP exam, same thing. I have, a, I, I put a lot of, unfortunately, I put too much of my self-worth in their, in their uh, ability to qualify on AP. And my school puts a quite a bit of pressure on me to make sure that our qualifying scores in IB are up to snuff, up to the world standard. And that's the only thing that matters. That's the only thing that matters, right? Uh, however, they're teenagers, so they're, it's not like they can put two years' worth of material in their heads and show up and execute in May. You've got to give them these little motivators, these, these points to, to where they, they take a test. And my goal is to give them about six of these summative assessments a year, and then we probably, they probably have an, a, a deliverable out of an inquiry about ten times a year. But otherwise, it's show up and work. So let's say um, – And I can, talk, I can talk about this forever, right? I mean, I think about it all yeah. the time. <laughs> I think about it all the time. Yeah, I'm going to come back to the tests in a little bit. But I, I do want to give you sorry, a scenario. you got a kid. They've come in. They're, you know, and they're struggling. Yeah. And so it, it's it, – it's, they, they want to get better at what they're doing, and they're willing to put in this time – outside of school to to improve their understanding to get better at these deliverables is there a you know how do you view sort of that work outside of class cycle when it's the kid who who just want who wants to get better and th that motivation could be both from a intrinsic learning standpoint or it also could be that that grade thing right. that they're feeling but they they realize wait a minute i i want to do better than i'm doing right here does that fit in at all to maybe you know, sort of individualized or differentiated homework type assignments that you might be, you know, gearing towards a, a specific kid or a group of kids? If, Aaron, if I were more organized, I would be doing that stuff. And I love the idea, right? So a kid will come and see me, how can I get better at this? And we'll sit down and talk for a few minutes. I mean, that does open up an opportunity to have a chat with a kid and talk about what they could be doing differently. And that you know, sounds like blather, but it's true. What I'm, what I'm trying to do, honestly, is because I know where my kids as a whole are weak. It's their ability to express their ideas about science and writing. So we do a lot more guided practice uh, writing an idea down or building a model in class. And I told my guys, I said, look, this is the feelings are going to get hurt. I said, you're going to, you're going to produce something in class in front of your peers. That's not very good. And I'm going to tell you, it's not very good. And you're gonna, and that's gonna hurt my feelings. It's gonna hurt your feelings. But we're gonna get better at it. And what's cool about my my group of students is they'll nod with me and say, "Yeah, we need that. We want that." Like they know it's gonna be painful, but they also want the experience. They want the practice. And uh, it, I, I've been at the same school for seven years. You know, my theme is like we are we are strong as a group, but we are pretty weak as an individual. So 
it's really hard for me as an instructor to pivot from that like group mentality of let's figure this idea out together to putting kids on an island to figure it out on their own. Uh, at the same time, working in, I, in an IB school, when they get to their internal assessments, which is a little 10-hour research project they do on their own, it really uncovers weaknesses fast. I mean, it's, it's awesome because it shows kids and shows instructors quickly where the kids, the kids who get it and the kids that don't get it. And I spend a, quite a bit of time, again, in class helping those kids that are struggling build a research project. In fact, Aaron, the, the whole month of January, I, I set every minute I was with those kids as open lab space. Kids that needed a triage and be taught how to do science again, I sat down with them. The kids that were much more high-functioning, that understand how to do science, already have a project going, their, their job was to uh, analyze their data or begin writing up their, their report, a 6- to 12-page report that comes out of these 10 hours of lab work. And in order to manage that time, they had to write down at the beginning of class what they were going to do, and then basically where they are now, what's their next step, and what they're going to do today to make that happen. And so I put a ton of accountability on my kids to uh, get work done in class. And you know, it, the, the fruits look pretty good. I've got a ton of IAs sitting in my inbox, all their rough drafts. Uh, and based on the individual conversations I had with kids, whether it was helping, literally helping a kid design a project from scratch or helping kids and other, uh, my kids are further down the line, helping them with their data analysis, whether it's running a regression or cleaning up a chi-square or, you know, reminding them that they know how to do a particular inferential stat like a t-test, sitting down with them, looking at their data, it's like, these kids have done the work. And it's... Uh, that's been fun. I think that, you know, it sounds like I'm going off on a tangent. I'm not. That's how I'm trying to run my class so that whatever they need to do between classes, it's up to them. Mm. But, but I still have, I, you know, I had a kid the other day, a young lady named Sydney, who's like, had no project. So we started a mealworm behavior project. And she's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I said, well, then I already showed you twice the model. And what we've looked at what these things will and won't do, it's ultimately up to you to get it done. So I put my kids on an island quite a bit, man. Yeah, well, I mean, you, it's to I think where you started, you're like, no homework. But in reality, it's, it's very – and you also sort of said you're very sort of group-oriented. But in reality, you just provided a lot of examples of how the homework is super individualized. Oh, like totally. it's what? Yeah, it's, it's very much there. So you're – you know, I, I think you did answer the question whether you thought you were going on a tangent or not. I thought you <laughs> – you know, pulled it back. Yeah, you, know, you saw so, you saw my talk at NABT, right? It was like yeah. I'm trying to make a big deal out of little interactions. I mean, the time I can spend with a kid, whether it's 20 minutes or two minutes, just sitting down with them and talking to them about their work, that is invaluable. It's exhausting, mm. right? It's 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 totally unscalable. Uh, but that's where I am as a teacher right now. It's like let's just work with this kid. And uh, to get them to kind of queue up like uh, planes coming in on an aircraft carrier, man, it's super fun. Yeah, I just keep working <laughs> with them one-on-one, one-on-one. And uh, what's been really cool is the work they're producing is, is, uh, is looks to be solid. If I may, what I'm seeing now kind of come going down the road towards May is my kids trust me a ton now. I've built that relationship through the work. 
And when we get now into our genetics and inheritance unit, which you, as you know, whether it's IV or AP, it's a, it's a bugger, man. It's a <laughs> lot of information. It is a lot of complex concepts. It is, it crosses multiple domains. I think my kids will be more willing to come with me and to stretch themselves intellectually because I've given them an opportunity to invest in themselves and they've seen me invest in them in real time. I next spoke with Kelly Cluthy from Olathe West High School in Olathe, Kansas. What's the value of homework and do you need to have homework in a high school science class to learn? Um, I really don't go out of my way to assign homework in any of my classes, um, with the exception of AP, and that's mm -hmm. more just for me to get through the content. I do more of a flipped model for that class, so my students are like watching videos, taking notes, and then we come to class and do more hands-on activities and discuss the material together. Um, but even then, my homework really doesn't take more than like 10 to 15 minutes if it's assigned. For my other classes, I really don't see the value. I don't feel that there's as much pressure to get through content. Mm -hmm. um, so any homework my students have in those classes, it's just stuff they didn't finish in class during our time together. Um, you know, I really want to make sure my kids have time for after-school activities and hanging out with their friends and families. And they already spend seven hours a day at school. I don't really see the point in making them spend more time at home. So, so for you, the, I mean, the answer is like without some external sort of curriculum pressure, like, uh, you know, in this case, the AP, mm -hmm. you, if it was up to you, if you were just teaching like an advanced biology class that didn't have this outside stakes, would you give homework no. in that group? So I actually teach our dual enrollment biology class too, which is very similar to AP, but the students just pay for the credit instead of having to pass the AP exam. And mm -hmm. You would think the classes would be pretty similar, but without that pressure of having to prepare students for the test, I just don't see the point in assigning homework. So the AP or the dual enrollment class doesn't have any. So in terms of like um, long-term assignments, labs, things like that, you know, obviously studying, mm -hmm. um, do you view those as like do you view those as homework type assignments as well like so I, I know you do like labs and those types of things mm -hmm. and students do have some responsibility for products either products that they're going to generate in class or product deliverables that they're going to give to class do those just fit into a different category for you in terms of like home assignments um even then I think I really try to give the students as much time as possible to do those things in class um, so like last semester, the final for my dual enrollment biology class was a four week long independent research project and the students were able to complete it. They had project proposals all the way up through final presentations and written scientific articles within four weeks. And I don't think I had any students that needed to take it home to work on. Mm. So, so if in the ideal world, you would say school is kind of like work and most people who have a job don't have to do hours and hours of their work at home. Um, so yep. that sounds, that's the, what the model kind of sounds like to me. Yeah. I mean, I try to preach work life balance in my own personal life. So I try to do the same thing for my students too. Hmm. The interesting perspective that's very different from mine. So like, let me push on this now in terms of like uh, differentiation. So I'm, you know, I'm a student in the class and I'm just, I'm really, really struggling 
um, because you don't have homework built in, is there like, are there extra things that I could do because my desire is to learn and I'm struggling and I'm not picking it up in the class time? Can you use that outside of class time for differentiation or do you have other ways that you try to get that accomplished? So I'm really lucky in my school, we have something that's called Power 50 where the students have an hour long mm -hmm. lunch. Um, so that time is designed to be time that students can meet with teachers. They can get extra support in school. Um, so kids will come bring their lunch for me. We have a whole hour every single day to work on those things if students need extra support. Wow. Is this a school-wide philosophy that fits into this homework model? Um, I would say probably. I mean, there's no like official stance on homework school-wide, but I don't know any other teacher in my building that really goes out of their way to assign a lot of homework. Hmm. All right. Well, that's <laughs> definitely a different view uh, than what I was saying. So I'm going to shift back to, to the APs. And so you just said that like your type of homework that you're using for them is, is content, like really it sounds like preloading yep. type content so that you have them sort of primed and coming in. Is there any consequence if I don't do, watch the videos or do the reading? Does, is there any sort of consequence for me as a, as a learner or from an academic standpoint uh, for not doing the, the, the preloading work? Um, so I don't grade their notes for anything that they take over the videos or the readings or whatever I sign. But if they come to class and they haven't done any of that background, like preloading, then they're going to be completely lost when they get to our activities. We spend almost all of our time doing um, hands-on labs or modeling or uh, Socratic type discussions. So if they aren't prepared for that, they're going to be super lost. So just sort of the built-in, you know, peer pressure mm -hmm. of not not wanting to look like the person who's totally clueless in the room. Yeah, and I would say by the time the kids are in like the AP level class, they kind of know that that's my expectation for them. And if they don't do what they're supposed to do, then they're going to be letting themselves down and then also each other down. So I think there's both a lot of intrinsic motivation at an AP student and then also just that peer pressure too. My next conversation was with John Darko, and John teaches at Seneca East High School in Attica, Ohio. What is the value of homework, and is homework important to learning high school science? Uh, I go back and forth with homework, so I'm not a huge advocate of that kids have to do homework every day. And I would also, I, I tend to think that Kids in high school, uh, like a lot of my students, are involved in sports all the time. They're doing a lot of other stuff. So they, they do have a lot of pressures. So I see that side of the argument. I would, me, my, how I do homework is I always make sure that I give students three to five days to complete given homework assignments. So instead of assigning um, you know, something on a Tuesday and have it due on Wednesday. I give time for students to, to complete the work that I give them. The things I like to give for homework are usually, I like to give readings. Um, so I assigned a reading out of Serengeti Rules from Sean Carroll 
or mm-hmm. other interesting Scientific American articles I'll, I'll assign, and then I'll make up some questions that go along with that. That's one type of homework assignment I like to give. And then other types of assignments are questions where it gives students time to think by themselves. So maybe just one or two questions about the experiment we've been working on in class or the topic we've been discussing, something that is uh, tends to be ungoogleable, uh, <laughs> so they're not just looking up answers, but something to give them time to think independently by themselves, space for them to to think through uh, what we've talking about and come up with come up with an answer. Uh, in a, in addition to those, uh, so so readings, independent work, and then. A lot of times, uh, just pra- if they need practice with a topic, like math problems, I think I do see a value of giving them some time to just practice it outside of the classroom also, so it's not just all done in, in, in the classroom. Like uh, genetics problems are, for me, a good example of that, or a chi-square uh, statistics like problems, I think, are useful just to give them some extra practice working on that on their own outside of the classroom. Yeah, that, you, you you brought up some interesting things and it sparked a lot of different thoughts for me. One of them is sort of the, you know, you mentioned not Googleable answers and, you know, there is an economy of time and I think you're you're definitely giving kids the incentive of okay, you've got a couple of days to do this, find a time where it fits into your schedule to do this thing. And that, that works great. But at the same time, students will, you know, talk to other people or get answers and that sort of thing. Do you have a, do you find that there has to be a balance in terms of accountability on the homeworks? Or is this something that, you know, that's just a maturation thing that we need students to sort of figure out on their own? So are, are you asking as far as accountability, like how do I grade the assignments? Yeah. Oh, okay. For for the assignments where they're doing their thinking, where I give them a question that's ungoogleable, uh, or, mm-hmm. or I, you know, is that a po- even a possible thing? Um, <laughs> but if I give them a question where I'm hoping they'll come up with some type of paragraph, constructed argument, constructed answer, uh, those I, I do try to grade to give feedback. Uh, I tend to grade on completion, so I will add feedback and comments to that. But as far as like A, B, C, or D, if they're having Mm in-depth answers, uh, that's generally how I'm grading it. So almost like an A for effort. Uh, For for the math-like questions, I almost never grade, give them actual points in my gradebook for those types of assignments, just because... It's so easy just, you know, what's what's the value in giving students practice problems and then we know they, in economy of time, are just copying each other's if they run out of time. I don't want to have to, I don't want to have a system in place that incentivizes that. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, they just might not do it and, you know, that's that's the, the reality I'm living with. I think we're all doing that. I've been I've been known to give homework assignments that are like math problems, you know, whether it's chi square or water potential or um, Hardy Weinberg or something like that, and tell them right off the bat, uh, the answer key is already posted on the class website. Like, right here's your practice. Yeah. Um, like, don't get the answer from somebody else. Like, 
here they are. They're already here to the point where, you know, I my goal is not for you to do this completion task. This is not busy work. This is your opportunity to check for your own understanding. And if you're not understanding it, you got to tell me to slow down or you need to tell me to go over more of these. Um, and if you don't and like you <laughs> go to the answer sheet and fill out your sheet so that it's right, but you don't know how to do it, you know, that's I don't get that feedback. Yeah, I, I like to do that, too. I think that sends a real powerful message when you say, here is the answer. I, uh, I posted to the, you know, the website the answer key. Yeah. Uh, so they already know the answer key is there, and it gives them two things. It gives them the lack of incentive to actually copy because they know the answer key is there, so they might try it all by themselves. And it gives them the answer key so they can check their work while they're going. I, I always love when... I was a student myself, and with math problems, I could check to see if I was actually learning the stuff I was supposed to be learning, and I think sometimes that uh, is lost. <laughs> yeah, you gotta like you have to change, break the rules a little bit so that the the game, you know, it's not a cat and mouse game of of completion. Like you gotta almost take completion off the table um, as the goal um, and sort of reframe it in that way. So, yeah. So, I mean, is it in terms of, you know, you sometimes put grades in, sometimes don't. Um, and I don't know where you are in like your your point system. Um, but do you feel like you have to have I, I some... don't have a pointless classroom. Yeah, I know you don't have a pointless classroom, <laughs> but I, I know we've had discussions about like, you know, how do you how do you weigh out points um, in there? But you feel like you do have to have some grades that are homework associated like associated with homework at some points otherwise students won't even engage in that practice component do you feel like there has to be like a range of percentages that you have to you know you know you should give them credit for completion in order to help encourage good practice yeah i you know i don't know if you have to give homework assignments i just feel like it students my students want homework assignments so that <laughs> They can, they can practice this stuff outside of the classroom, and they want me to uh, give them a grade for it so it's not just all coming from multiple choice questions and free response essay questions. Mm -hmm. they, they, and, and I think that's fair, uh, that sometimes just awarding them for practicing thinking is is a, a legitimate use of, of their time and my time. Next, I spoke to old friend Antonio Gamboa, who I first recorded with back on episode two of Life is Cold podcast. Antonio teaches at Gary High School in Pomona, California. What's the value of homework? Or maybe the question is, like, do you think homework's important to learning science in high school? I think homework is important as long as the students are actually understanding what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like a practice because if you send them home and they don't have any support, like particularly students that don't have support at home, they don't understand it. They try to go online, they try to figure out, they spend too much time. So little by little, you're building up frustration rather than 
than practice of something that you want them to learn. So I think the homework has to be very clear in the sense that it has to be some value at practice where the students build up confidence of what they've learned. If they don't have it, they might need um, a different homework. So, so I think it's pretty easy if you're doing like chemistry or physics or math to know like what practice looks like. Um, so what does, what does practice look like for you when it comes to like teaching biology? Like what does good practice mean? Uh, what are, I guess maybe what's the, what are valuable homework assignments in your mind? So a valuable homework in biology will be, let's say that we're practicing uh, transcription and mm -hmm. translation. So I would give them something where they say, okay, so this is the DNA translated. This is the tools to do the, tra the, the transcription. And so what would it look like in the translation? Give me the protein sequence and maybe ask them if there might be any possible uh, uh, sulfur uh, bridges, you know, so, so anything like that, that they can actually put in practice mm -hmm. rather than something that I'm going to go and search for something completely new and add to it. And so applications, I think, should be kind of out in the sense of uh, I'm more like a, 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 I, need to, I need to practice what I learn in class, essentially. Mm-hmm. So I basically think there's two sort of approaches to homework. Um, and, you know, maybe there are some people who do all of one or some people do all of others. But my guess is probably people do a mix of both. Sometimes it's like front loading, like I'll assign like a video or a reading or something beforehand, knowing that when they come into class, we're going to be using that in class. And sometimes it's we do something in class and then I want to go home and do practice. Do you feel like both of those have value and you know we teach in very different schools as we've said a few different times do those do those both have value for you and for your students in, in my situation i do use a lot of front loading i mm. actually do that where i said okay i'm going to put a video go in and, and search for information and uh see what you get from it and so then in that situation i don't see it so much as a homework more than as an introductory setting where they build up questions. So my goal is for them to come up with questions because my re my, my um, rationale behind it is saying, you might not understand it, you might understand it. So I'm assuming you're not gonna understand it very well, but there is something you can always do, I believe that you can always build up questions. So mm. if you can go home with the knowledge that you might not understand it. That is not your main goal. I want you to go through the whole thing, look at it, and see what is it exactly that is puzzling you. That will lead me that the next time they come back, I have a, uh, a student-centered classroom mm -hmm. because they will be driving my teaching. So I do a lot of that, but I don't consider homework in the sense of the practice. I consider it in the sense of bring back your questions, help me lead the class, let's center around your questioning, let's center around you. Hmm. And then maybe if your concepts aren't sort of, uh, you know, if they don't know the vocabulary, they don't know all the, the concepts, that's not the idea. You want them generating questions so that they can work for it meaningfully in the classroom. Yeah, exactly. In addition to that, I mean, they, they are also welcome to bring 
I don't understand this word, I understand the meaning of this word. And so that gives me a, a, a better picture of what are their challenges. So mm. to me, it's like, go home and find out what are you challenged with, share with me, and I will lead the class in a way that uh, it will help you progress. But to send you home and do an assignment where I'm assuming you understood what I taught and because I presented it, now you're responsible. I, I think that's unfair for a lot of our students who don't have any support at home. Hmm. And even for people who have support at home, you know, just because, you know, parents have, have background or, or whatever, it's still the student who has to construct the knowledge. So <laughs> the, the, yes. the parent's not going to come in and take the test at the end of the unit. The parent's not going to be the one, you know, designing an investigation. It needs to be the students who make the sense out of the, out of the work. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes what happens is that uh, I will assign something. They look at it. They come back. They have the questions. They drive now the lesson. And as the lesson goes through, after that, I usually will ask them, okay, go back to what we just saw. See what else is missing, and maybe I add a little bit more to see if you can connect the new information and come back with questions again. So it's a student-driven, student uh, outside the classroom and inside the classroom to me. That, that's how it works best. And then I can see sort of the, the first example you gave up with that practice at the end. So then now you've done these things, and now it's time for them to apply some things, and you apply a little bit in class, and then you're saying, all right, now I want you to go home in sort of a different setting by yourself, and see if you can figure out this transcription translation question on your own and maybe new questions will come up or new uncertainty or you'll get that confirmation that yes you know how to do it yeah exactly and in that way your 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 lesson is progressing uh rather by the determination of the student challenges rather than me planning i have this on monday this on tuesday this on wednesday but i'm like paying attention to are you understanding can you demonstrate to me that you either have questions, what, what is the challenge that you have? And so now at that point is that we practice in classroom and the practice continues at home. Mm. Do you have a, in your mind, do you have like a, an amount, like a, a amount of time that is like a reasonable ask for your students or is it like incredibly variable because every kid's gonna be different? No, I do, I do have a, an amount of time. So I'm trying to, what I try to do is try to have the majority of the students moving forward. And when I see someone is staying behind, then I, I'll add either, you know, tutoring time or I'll talk to them individually. Or when we are doing labs or activities at times, I even ask them, well, we're going to skip this activity for you. Uh, we are going to concentrate on you learning the information. So, yeah, yeah no, I do have a targeted period of time that it's driven by students, but, but at the same time, um, I'm trying to guide them to get to where I want them. And if some are left behind, I have to go and target it in different ways. My final conversation for this episode was with Brittany Franskoviak. Brittany teaches at Wild Lake High School in Columbia, Maryland. What is the value of homework? And do we need to have homework in order for students to learn science in high school? And I think this is particularly interesting for you because I've stolen uh, something that you use for your AP students and have incorporated heavily into my practices here. So I'd love to hear what your thoughts are, the value of homework. Um, this is such an interesting question. And I think part of what makes it interesting to me is that I think the value of homework is 
very different, sort of in different contexts and with different populations. And I think that homework can serve a variety of purposes. And I think some of those purposes are um, sort of more valid than others. So for me, I teach currently, I've taught a few different levels, but right now I'm teaching a ninth and 10th grade course called Gifted Biology. Um, and it's just basically like our honors intro bio. Mm -hmm. And then I have my upperclassmen in AP bio. And for my ninth and 10th graders, they rarely have homework for me. I'm, they might get a total of maybe 30 to 60 minutes per week of homework for my class. Wow. And usually the homework is just, we started something in class, some students finished and some students didn't, and so I ask them to finish it if they didn't finish it. That's almost all of the homework, actually, that I give them, aside from encouraging them to do some review and some, you know, studying of material. And for me, the reason that I do that at all is because I, because my class is very heterogeneous, you know, there are some students who only need 20 minutes to complete, like, a reading task, and there are some students who need 50 minutes to complete the reading task, and that's fine. You know, it's usually just because they genuinely sort of have different processing speeds, and, and that's, you know, sure. And so I can't easily accommodate that kind of thing in my class while still keeping the whole class together on pace. And so that tends to be what the homework ends up looking like for my ninth and 10th graders. It's basically like, hey, we started this thing in class. I introduced it. Maybe you started working on it with the team. Maybe it was a like three or four page reading that I asked you to do and like fill out some sort of chart or like make some sort of summary. And mm -hmm. if they don't finish it in class, like I need everyone to be sort of at the same place for the next like learning arc or task. And so that's really how I think about homework for them. Um, something that I'm struggling with with that class is that I have some students that I see only every other day because we have like a weird block class. <laughs> so. Okay. What that means is, especially if it's like a long weekend, it might be five days in between lessons. Oh, okay. And so this is happening right now, actually. I just introduced DNA structure. So that means that I had some students that I had in class last Thursday, and we ended right in the middle of like the introduction to what DNA looks like and why it looks like that. And now I won't see those students again until like the following Tuesday. And I didn't give them any homework, like, there's no assignment that they need to turn in. But, like, if they don't interact with that material at all, then it's going to be like that class never happened. Yeah, um, like, what's, what's the decay of yeah. understanding? How much do you lose in that decay? And I don't know the answer to that. And so I, I am sympathetic to, you know, we shouldn't be piling busy work onto students. I, I firmly believe in that. I don't want to give them homework for the sake of, like, you know, playing at what school is supposed to look like or what upper level classes are supposed to look like. But at the same time, given what I know about learning and like retention, if, if they spend, you know, four calendar days completely ignoring something really complex that's brand new to them, like that's not going to end with us being successful. So I, I have not solved that, but I think that there is some, there's some purpose in there where like some kind of guided review or structured um, like re-engagement with what we have already covered uh, would be appropriate for them. For my upperclassmen, I think of homework a little differently, um, although I've tried to be more economical about it. In my first couple years teaching AP Bio, 
I didn't spend a whole lot of time worrying about total quantity of homework, but I do now. Um, Mm-hmm. I do think that for those upperclassmen who are in AP level courses, um, I think it's fair that they to be concerned about the number of hours they're spending on their school commitments. And I'm not sure that it's productive to kind of take the attitude that they brought it on themselves and this is just how it has to be. That doesn't feel useful to me. So um, I really try to streamline for them. And I've I have found over the last couple of years that I can teach what I think is a pretty solid AP level course with only about maybe two or three hours of homework time per week, which I'm comfortable with. I'd love it to be zero, but I, I don't really have enough class time to make that happen. And again, I run into the same problem where my population is pretty heterogeneous. So even if I give them a bunch of class time to work on something, you know, inevitably some of them are going to need more time, and mm-hmm. I don't want to penalize them for that. I'd like them to have the time that they need, but it does mean that some of them have to do a little bit more work outside of class. And so that's what that's about. The... Yeah formative assessment structures that I use and that I know a bunch of people have adapted and used in different ways. I really like that as homework. Um, I have students in my student surveys every year, I ask them how much time each one takes them and they take on average between 30 and 60 minutes, which is sort of what I expected. And they do about two of them a week. And for me, that's the kind of thing where it makes a lot of sense. It's usually connected to something that we've done in class together. It's a little individual like piece of work that's pretty low stakes but allows them to do some exploring on their own. And so I see that as a way for, um, you know, that homework creates a space for me to get an individual, like, check on how students are constructing or not constructing understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been I've been incorporating those as choice assignments um, mm-hmm. such that, and I've had to, I've created a handful using your structure um, for many of them, but also building in, different ones that again sort of like what you were saying mirror the concepts that we're hitting in class which you know are my stories are a little bit different than your stories so but the idea of having students write but I say you have to pick one of them a month to do Mm, nice which um, I thought was really great Um, and then the students have taught me so much uh, this month this year doing this because what they were doing is they were looking at it from an economy standpoint yeah and they would look at all of them and they'd go oh those ones are really hard I'm not going to do those. Um, and they would pick what they perceived to be the one that would take them the least amount of time and that would be the most straightforward, or they would completely put them off to the end and all do the last one in the month, um, <laughs> which, yeah, you know, they, right. they used, they used, they basically approached them in a, with a completely different mindset than what I had laid out. So I have, I, I've struggled a little bit because it takes me a long time to read them and score them and provide mm-hmm. feedback. And yeah. I think that the feedback has to be timely um, and I also work with another teacher who is also incorporating this. And I think if we went to more, much more than one a month, particularly because we allow them to rewrite them, yeah. um, it would be overwhelming on top of the rest of our work in order to manage and do them. I'm just not particularly efficient at scoring them. Yeah. Um, so it's been it's been interesting. But I agree with you about the concept of of that ability to get very low stakes as opposed to a test feedback on their writing. Yeah. And I've learned so much from that, uh, but it's like anything else that's good. It's provided so many questions about how well my instruction is yep. <laughs> and where my gaps in instruction are this year. It's it's given me a flood of feedback that I need to think about as I move forward. I guess, um, yeah, it's really cool to hear how other people think about that structure in their classes. Thinking more about sort of what 
the purpose or value of homework is. For me, sometimes it's useful to think about what homework, what I think homework shouldn't be, mm-hmm. because that's changed for me too throughout the course of my teaching. Um, you know, I think that there's not a ton of value in like excessive repetitive practice for homework, right? Like, um, and in biology, that doesn't come up a whole lot. I think not as much as it does maybe in some other disciplines, but Mm -hmm. I'm thinking in particular about like heredity problems. Like, yes, kids need to practice heredity problems. Sure. And that's the, that's one of the things where like, you know, you really just have to do a bunch of them to figure out how they work and like get the logic of it. But I don't necessarily feel like I need to assign my students 20 heredity practice problems, right? Like we can do a handful of well-curated ones together in class, and then I can give them a small handful of, like, curated ones to work on as a review over a few days. Um, But I don't need, you know, like, I don't need to require them, because some of them aren't going to need to do 20, right? And then usually if students are having, like, conceptual problems, I don't need them to work 20 questions to see that. I can see it in two or three if I pick good ones. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I think for me, I found that if you do, like, you know, four or five one night, and then you have them sort of share those out, then that's the red, the kids get the red flags. It's like, oh, I got those wrong. And then you need to provide, I think the words that you use, well, curated is something that um, is like platonic ideal. Um, (laughs) (laughs) When I think back to my, the genetics problems I use, I, I feel like they're on that. Yeah, we should go back and edit these and curate them better. And then the next year rolls around and heredity comes around and we pull out the examples of problems we have. And that's just something that we don't do a good enough job going back and curating year in, year out. Yeah, I agree. That's something that I need to get better about too. Um, (laughs) And then I'm also hesitant to assign homework and AP again, AP is always a little bit different here. Um, In AP, sometimes the homework is, Hey, there's this content that is not terribly complex that you just sort of need to know. Um, A good example of that. I just got through cell structure Mm-hmm. And all of my kids have had bio before, and I was like, look, you just need to know these cell organelles and what they do. Um, you know, and we did sort of more interesting things in class where we looked at some, you know, what happens when organelles are disrupted, and we spent class time together going over, like, how organelles interact. But the sort of very straightforward, like, you need to know that ribosomes make proteins or whatever. I was just like, you you know, here's a list, like, whatever you need to do to get in your brain. Uh, but for my ninth and 10th graders... Um, I try really hard to make sure that the homework is not like new knowledge construction um, because I think that that would put some kids at a disadvantage. So Mm. while they might have maybe to finish a CER for homework or they might have to like graph some lab data for homework or like I said, maybe finish up some classwork that we started together, um, it's never for that population, it's never go off and learn this biology by yourself. Um, I feel pretty strongly about that. Yeah, I do. Yeah, well, this is that's that's interesting because I think front loading does have its value, but I think the the degree with which you front load is I, sort of the way you're describing it. You have to be very mindful of it um, because it it has to be a. I think there is, I, and I don't have a, as heterogeneous a group. Um, I I don't want to say it's not a heterogeneous group, but I would say we are definitely more of your traditional tract okay. grouping, and um, they can. The amount of information that they can take in, for me, provides a really good spot to then start asking questions where they, they've they seen a little bit of vocab and now it's going to push and pull what their initial understandings of those are okay. to help them really get into that constructivist mindset of they have some idea about some of these concepts. They have some initial picture of, oh, these are these parts. And again, building off of what I think they may have seen in seventh grade or eighth grade. 
uh, that sort of thing. Um, but again, not as, quite as heterogeneous as, as you're saying. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I, I wonder a little bit about that sequence that I feel like there's some things that that's okay to do. And there's some things that I probably am over, I'm overdoing in terms of the expectations before they walk into class. Yeah. Uh, that front loading stuff I just do in class. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think what for me, I, I think I, I went from a, we should always do the stuff in class. And then I've gone to the always front loading. And the answer is both of them are wrong. There's, <laughs> there's, yeah. there's somewhere in between those two that there's some things that there, it's great to front load because then you can get into some really interesting questions. Uh, but there's other things that it's not reasonable to front load. Uh, yeah. And honestly, with my ninth and 10th graders in particular, one of the things that we've run into, and this is a school wide thing that we've talked about sort of as a science team and as like a whole school team is that um, a lot of my students just don't do homework. Um, even <laughs> even my gifted and talented class that I teach, um, yeah, a lot of them do, but not all of them. And so if I assign anything for homework where like our success the next day in class is contingent on them having done it, um, I am setting myself up for failure as a teacher because a bunch of them won't have done it. Yeah. Um, and so like I could keep assigning, like, right, there's like a Sisy Sisyphean uh, feel to it right like I could keep assigning it and keep giving them zeros and they would just keep not doing it and we would keep not being able to move forward or I can just accept that like look it's not realistic for me to expect them to do x y or z at home um, because a third of them won't and I can't move on when a third of my class like hasn't mm. done this thing and yeah. so um, that that realization and that kind of reflection over two or three years um, as my class is diversified you know, that's a big driving factor to why now um, the homework stuff tends to be things where if they don't finish it, they're only sort of messing up their own trajectory and mm -hmm. not necessarily holding up my whole like instructional sequence. Yeah, I think knowing the knowing your population and knowing um, I think even that I think for me, I also have the stakes really, really low so that um, even if they didn't quite front load an accessibility, it's not an accessibility issue. Right. Um, but it may be a. Um, an intellectual comfort level. I guess that would probably be the best way to describe it. I have honor students who are very uncomfortable in a uncertainty space. Sure. Uh, to the point where they're not willing to take very much risk <laughs> if they don't feel like they have some sense of it. Um, so in some ways it builds in the ability for me to push them and challenge them to take greater intellectual risks by, by teasing out the concepts a little bit in advance. Um, and again, I think this is, you have to go and speak to your kids where they are. Um, and I think we both have hit this pretty well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I want to thank all my guests for joining me on this special episode. In fact, this is going to be the first of three special episodes I'll release over the next few months with this group. I asked them actually three questions and this was just the first. So if you'd like to get the other two episodes, please make sure you're subscribed to Life of the School wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. You can also connect with me on Twitter at Life of the School or at Mr. Matthew Tweets. And hey, feel free to share your opinions about homework with me. Did you like what we had to say? Do you have any questions? I'd love to continue the conversation on Twitter. You can support this and every episode by going to patreon.com slash lots. Patreons get an early release of episodes, and you also get show notes there as well as free show notes on lifeoftheschool.org. So thanks for joining me, and I will talk to everybody soon.